0: As a nephrologist, a kidney doctor in Mayo Clinic, you know you see primarily patients with advanced kidney disease at that time. So these were patients who need a kidney transplant or who need a dialysis. And again, the same thinking process started to happen by me. You know, why do we see these patients late on? You know, when the damage has been irreversibly done and they need an organ transplant or dialysis when the process started decades before.
1: This is episode number 99 with Dr. Axel Pluga. Welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm Julie Fouché, family medicine resident and former CrossFit Games athlete. Here, I bring to you information and inspiration from experts and everyday individuals for how to use lifestyle to maximize health. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, let's get started with this week's episode. Hello there, everyone, and welcome back to Pursuing Health. In this episode, I got to sit down with an incredibly accomplished physician and scientist, Dr. Axel Pluga. Axel is not only a medical doctor, but he also has his PhD in pharmacology and has completed residency training in three specialties. So he first did residency training in cardiac surgery in Germany, then eventually his research brought him from Germany over to the U.S. at the Mayo Clinic, where he also completed residency training in internal medicine and nephrology. He eventually went on to found the Diabetes and Chronic Kidney Disease Clinic at Mayo Clinic, and through that opportunity, he was able to study a very large registry of patients with diabetes and chronic kidney disease. It was through this registry that he discovered the most effective treatment protocols for these patients with chronic disease were actually early diagnosis and lifestyle therapy, including exercise, diet, and sleep. And this discovery, as well as a search for the optimal exercise program, is what led Axel to eventually find Greg Glassman and join forces with CrossFit back in 2016 in a global initiative to fight chronic disease, which we now know as CrossFit Health. Currently, Dr. Fleur serves as the medical director of the Center of Comprehensive and Diagnostic Medicine in New York City, and he's also a clinical instructor at NYU University Langone Medical Center. I caught up with Dr. Pfluger at the 2018 CrossFit Health Conference after he gave an excellent talk to learn more about his research and clinical findings, as well as how he believes lifestyle therapy can be incorporated into conventional care to end this global epidemic of chronic disease. He was such a huge fan of the CrossFit Games that I literally had to pull him away from spectating for this interview, but I hope you all enjoy our conversation as much as I did. A few quick reminders before we get started. First, this episode is produced by CrossFit Beyond the Whiteboard, the best workout tracking in the biz and the one I've been using since 2009. You can learn more about it at beyondthewhiteboard.com. If you're enjoying the podcast, please head over to iTunes to subscribe and consider giving it a rating. It really does make a difference and helps to get the podcast out to more listeners. I'm also always looking for inspiring stories to share. So if you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send your story to me at info at com, and I'll select some to share here on future episodes. Finally, please remember that although I am now officially a doctor, this podcast is meant to share the experiences of individuals and does not provide medical advice. So with that, let's get started here with episode number 99 of Pursuing Health featuring Dr. Axel Pfluger. So welcome to Pursuing Health. I'm really excited to be here recording with Dr. Axel Pfluger, who just spoke at our CrossFit Health Conference, and now we're here watching the CrossFit Games. So thank you for joining me.
0: Thank you for having me, Julie. It's a pleasure and a privilege.
1: Awesome. Well, I would love to just start and talk a little bit about your background for people who are not familiar with you. And I think you have some of the most interesting and diverse medical training background of any other physician that I've met. Um, So could you take us through, I mean, how did you even get into medicine and then through your path um, to get to where you are today?
0: Yeah. Early on, I uh, had a passion for uh, medicine and medical science to improve health of people and cure diseases. And so that's what brought me into medicine. I started medicine in Tübingen University in Germany. And I did a PhD in pharmacology. During the PhD, I discovered some of the hallmark findings that diabetic vascular dysregulation in the kidney, meaning adaptation to stresses, occurs early on in the disease. two to three weeks after the onset of type 1 diabetes, you can measure changes in nitric oxide-dependent vasorelaxation. Wow. And then I was driven a little bit more to go more into advanced repair, what I call accident repair, and I decided to do a cardiovascular surgery residency. And in the uh, vascular surgery field in Heidelberg where I started uh, doing that, we did a lot of um, coronary bypass surgery. Okay. We did congenital heart disease and it was a very academic and very educational program and uh, also research was involved in in this program. And what I recognized is that when a person needs a cardiovascular bypass it is the result of chronic disease that you have severe arteriosclerosis in the coronary blood vessels. And that's a process which probably started decades before we were seeing these patients to bypass that uh, narrowing of the arteries. And I was more curious to not fix the end result of a process but to intervene earlier. And it was at that time that I got an invitation to the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. Okay. They were very interested in the diabetes model I was working on and they invited me with the wish that I should establish that model in the Mayo Clinic. And uh, so I followed that invitation. That initially was only planned to be a year or two and ended up that we made more discoveries in the vascular regulation and I decided to, was very fascinated with the Mayo healthcare system and the quality of care. I switched gears and became uh, did my residency in internal medicine, became a nephrologist and subsequently and took care of, uh, established a um, patient care clinic for diabetics, more than 21,000 patients.
1: So did you, when you came to me, were you there primarily for research or were you also doing cardiovascular surgery there initially and then went back for the no initially
0: medicine. no it initially it was just a research fellowship okay and it was planned to establish that there do some research for a year or two and then go back to Heidelberg okay and the findings were just uh, very exciting we, we uh, wanted to translate the research finding into clinical settings
1: mm-hmm. so you decided to, in order to do that you should do another what six years of Medical training, right? Yeah, <laughs>
0: three years of residency and then another three years.
1: That's amazing, and That's you enough. did that all at Mayo Clinic.
0: Yeah, all at Mayo Clinic. Yes.
1: Okay, and then tell us what, how that then translated into the clinical findings and some of the, the things that you discovered while you were at Mayo. Right.
0: So, what, as a nephrologist, a kidney doctor in Mayo Clinic, you know, you see primarily patients with advanced kidney disease. At that time. So, these were patients who need a kidney transplant or who needed dialysis. And again, the same thinking process started to happen by me. You know, why do we see these patients late on, you know, when the damage has been irreversibly done and they need an organ transplant or dialysis when the process started decades before? So, first of all, we want to see how prominent of a problem is kidney disease at all in the a patient population at Mayo and at that time there were about six million patients registered in Mayo and about a third of them 2 million had some form of kidney disease wow. so the prevalence was very high then we looked the most common cause of kidney disease worldwide is diabetes and we wanted to narrow it more down to a co-population of patients who would come for their diabetes to Mayo and that was about a patient population of 21,000 patients in the area in Olmsted County okay. and so we started a registry to see how these patients are doing what they're doing what they're not doing are we seeing them are we not seeing them what is the demographic background how they progress and with that cohort or that population we did a lot of research um, studies medication research um, and we also I started a program at the Mayo Clinic to prevent the progression of kidney disease and so we offered services to patients to really intensify their treatment for diabetes, blood pressure control, and lifestyle therapy, exercise and diet. And what we found is that when you catch patient early on, you can actually improve kidney function. And the most significant factors in that process were lifestyle, th- was lifestyle therapy, exercise and diet. And so, um, at that time. You know, exercise was loosely defined, you know, do some sort of exercise. The goal would be five hours a week. But if you cannot do that, do as much as you can. And even so, with these loose kind of criteria, we had improvement in patients in their kidney function. When they were too progressed in their kidney disease, we somehow were not able to help them anymore.
1: So, at what stages of kidney disease were these patients that you were working with?
0: They were patients in stage one to five. Okay. Okay. So all pretty much all stages before they you know uh, would transfer to dialysis or transplant, but we would look at actually patients who would progress, we somehow felt bad, and we a little bit felt like it was our failure to try to prevent that progression. but it was a very few patients. most patients we could halt the progression, and in a majority of patients, we could actually improve their kidney function
1: wow. And can you talk about, in your presentation this week, you talked about comparing the effect of the standard medications that we would use versus the effects of exercise or lifestyle therapy. Right,
0: right. So what we usually, you know, one of the common uh, type of medications used for patients with uh, kidney disease, and in particular diabetic kidney disease, is inhibition of the angiotensin uh, system in the kidney, where we use angiotensin receptor blockers or angiotensin, Inhibitors, enzyme inhibitors, or renin inhibitors. Now these medications, they they've been you know wildly studied, and they have been shown to reduce the progression. But if you look at the data from the from various trials, the reduction of the progression is a subtle one. Um, Usually, patients there's about an average they lose kidney function about six to seven milliliters per minute, um, which you could probably translate into percent. So they lose about six to seven percent kidney function a year. And with these medications, you can decrease that to perhaps four to five percent. But you're not halting the disease. It's a slowing down of progression and in other fields of medicine, if you do not get a remission, this would be considered a failure. Um, but we don't have any other medications out at the moment, so we, you know, the the general medical world is very excited about this subtle effect. But what we've seen is that when we intensively implement lifestyle therapy with diet and exercise, you can actually not just halt the disease, but you can uh, you can improve kidney function. Okay, so if patients with a kidney function of 30 percent um, you can improve their kidney function to forty or even fifty percent.
1: Wow, that's incredible, and something that um, you know I think for me is frustrating is learning, being in primary care, learning family medicine right now in my residency, and and realizing that kind of what we're told to do in primary care when we have a diabetic patient is just to monitor, and then once they meet a certain criteria, then you refer them to a nephrologist or once you're you're getting close to wanting to plan for dialysis then you refer but there's otherwise not a lot else to do you know unless you can convince your patients to start diet and exercise therapy.
0: Right. So this is I think where physicians, clinicians or coaches play a critical role because most, if not all, patients with chronic disease they they have their chronic disease later in life. So implementing lifestyle therapy such as exercise and that means changing your behavior and that's becomes more difficult the older we get so it takes a certain art or task for you as the clinician or the coach to try to really have them take smaller steps but be also encouraging and motivating and to do that and I must say I would say the majority of patients. They want to get better. Yeah. The majority of patients don't want to be on medications. And if you p- offer patients that we can actually improve their kidney function or we can cure diabetes, they want to try that. They, I, don't, I know very few, I probably can count them on two hands, how many patients really completely opposed on doing anything. And I think if we, unfortunately, in the current setting, we don't have enough time and insurance reimbursement doesn't appreciate this form of, you know, uh, therapy, which takes a little bit more time than just a five or ten minute visit, as you know. But if you, do, if you are successful and maybe seeing them more frequently, I found it very rewarding. Also, what we found in that program at Mayo Clinic is that when you have a program where you have your patients want to get better and you have your medical assistants and your nurses and your secretaries in integrated in that program, There is a higher patient satisfaction, but there is also higher staff satisfaction. When actually medical staff see, have a certain continuity with patients and they see the outcome is improving, it's for them much more rewarding than see patients randomly every day somebody else. There's no relationship between patient and staff and the staff really doesn't know whatever happens to patients. So that was another discovery. But the other discovery what I want to mention is in Mayo Clinic that with this program, we increased revenue by 43%. Wow. So, because it was a very structured approach and uh, we, had to, we tried to reduce redundancies with scheduling, with rooming patients, with ordering tests. And so, if you're able to slim down, you know, the technicalities in a program like that, you can actually see quite a few patients. Wow.
1: So, can you talk about how the program worked then, or how it would be for a patient to come through the program?
0: So, in the beginning, we just, you know, we just did everything which is evidence-based, and we looked what they need. You know, they should see a kidney doctor, they should see a dietitian, they should see an exercise person, they should see an ophthalmologist, they should see the primary care, and we just put it all on a plate and we just ordered patients to do all this. And then we found out the patients in in Minnesota they were very nice. They actually most of the patients did whatever we told them to do. But one patient, one came to me and said, look, Dr. Fluke, I love your program, but it's kind of tough. You know, I have to take half a day off to see you. I have to take half a day off to see the ophthalmologist. And so we said, oh, my goodness, you know, this this is a burden for the patient. So we said we have to slim down that if a patient should not have more than once every three months a visit, and that shouldn't be more than half a day and so that takes coordination you know with the other specialties. so what we would do is then have them come once every three months in the morning do a blood test and you know in May we were fortunate enough to get the results back within two three hours so when the blood at seven o'clock we had the result 930 then they would see me they would or they would see the dietitian, and then they had all the appointments very staggered together that they could leave quickly um but I think we still underutilized the possible maximizing the benefits of lifestyle therapy and that's when i started to search for like i said most patients don't like to do exercise you know they're not athletes they have never done it so
1: unfamiliar intimidating yes
0: they're going they become a member in some gym and they gonna look what other people do and they may get an instruction mm-hmm. what to do but they've been left alone. And then there's physical therapy, which only goes that far. Right. So I looked at what's the biggest return of time spent in exercise in on health benefits. And that's a high functional intensity exercise, a CrossFit type exercise. And that's how I thought, gosh, it would be good if CrossFit would be opening the doors for the unmotivated unhealthy.
1: And is that how you then started your relationship with crossfit and how you met greg
0: yes yes so the, about four years ago um i i wrote a proposal and a presentation and uh for crossfit but i haven't been in touch with greg and i thought god the guy's very busy he's probably never gonna answer and so i contacted him and surprised was he answered and we spoke on the phone I was a couple hour talk on the phone and that was it we met in washington i gave them three four hour presentation how i think crossfit should decrease barriers of entry for unmotivated unhealthy patients and get them in and i think now we're here that's the second now we're here
1: and now crossfit health has been born and it's the wheels are in motion right so still a lot of work to do but i think that it's exciting very exciting it's very exciting so can you talk a little bit about what you're doing now with your patients and how you mentioned how do you present this say a patient walks into your office they have kidney disease um how do you what kind of conversation do you have with them about right how to get started
0: so first they get a very comprehensive diagnostic workup i want to see where they stand right now you know what other risk factors do they have What, uh, what other comorbidities do they have so they get a complete diagnostic workup they get a um, a physical exam and then when we have all the pieces of the puzzle then I discuss with them what, I, what we can offer them based on the experience we have accumulated in the last few decades and then I see what if they're interested in the program and pretty much all of them they want to get better so some of them have physical limitations. They have arthritis. Some of them are wheelchair-bound. But everybody can change usually the diet. And everybody can do some form of exercise. So often what I offer them is to start exercising to see me once a week. They come to the office. They do a 15 minutes exercise in the office under my supervision. And it's teaching them, you know, functional movements, crunches, air squats, wall push-ups, a program they can do at home. Each patient then gets, gets the individualized program to do at home. The workout is not more than 10 to maximum 20 minutes.
1: And are you writing them these workouts and saying, here, do these at home and right. before your next appointment? Right. Okay.
0: And then I see them back and then they have questions, you know, we going to, you know, optimize technique. We optimize, we may extend the program. And it's amazing how to see how people in their 70s who felt they have to give up life now are getting more mobile, more stable, want to drive a car again when they haven't done that. Patients with heart failure getting more functional. So it does work. And I think that the most exciting part about it is that patients itself recognize that it works. If patients becoming more progressed, are they ready to go to a gym? to join a gym you know then that's what we encourage because i think the benefit would be much more superior than you know doing it just once a week under our supervision to do it in a gym like a crossfit box and i offer them to contact whatever crossfit box they have and if then the affiliate of the crossfit box want to talk to me if the patient gives consent then i can discuss what my vision is what the patient should be able to do with the crossfit affiliate
1: that's great to have that, you know, if patients are willing to have that communication and and for patients probably to feel much more comfortable going to the gym than knowing that, you know, their trainer can talk to their doctor right. and they uh, they have a good understanding of what their current health right. limitations are.
0: And we have several experiences with patients who actually went to a a local CrossFit box and then the affiliate gets in touch with me, gives me feedbacks, and the patient, you know, gives us feedback.
1: It's kind of like talking when you get feedback from a physical therapist about your patients um, that you can see through the EMR or get a message, but, you know, same thing if you can call up your local affiliate and talk to them. That's awesome. So how how does it usually work for your patients? Do you start them off with the exercise or does it depend patient by patient? Do you do the diet at the same time or do you, you kind of see where they want to start yes. the process? it
0: depends a little bit on the patient. Yeah. We don't want to overwhelm them. We don't yeah. want to put too much on their plate. It has to do a little bit too. you know, I tell them that we will do medication therapy. You know, we try to taper off medications. We want to do a diet and exercise. And then we see what are you ready to take on now? And that varies. Some patients are ready to learn about everything, you know, in one session. And the diet is also a, prog- a pro- progress, as you know. You, know you, you tell them the goals, and then there are steps to get to the goals. And so it's an ongoing uh, process. Like what I would say chronic conditions, they require chronic care models. Yeah. It's not a one-time fix.
1: And it requires a lot of that upfront time and you know seeing seeing patients in your office every single week is probably a lot a lot of providers would say oh my gosh i w-, you know i don't ever do that but you probably then once you can educate them and they feel comfortable right. then you can start to space out those right. appointments and now you've got patients who no longer have diabetes or no longer have hypertension or you know other chronic diseases and now you don't have to see them right every you know even every six months that's so,
0: right That's one thing I learned in the Mayo Clinic. When I was coming the first time to Mayo, I was participating in rounds, and a clinician, a big Mayo professor, spent an hour with a patient, and I'm like, what a waste of time, (laughs) you know? I mean, why do I have to listen to this? And we were standing there as resident doctors and waiting, and the doctor would explain and explain, and it was, and I didn't understand the whole reasoning for that. But I learned it very quickly. If the patient understands and you're on the same page with the patient, you're going to move, you progress together. Yeah. And it actually saves you time in that whole process. And that's not going to be an hour every time you meet with that person, but you're going to try to establish a common goal and a communication.
1: Right. So it's like any relationship really, right? Right. Spending that time and making sure that you're on the same page and connecting.
0: Right. And I think that's a big factor, which is short seen currently in the current conventional medical system, that we are all now urged to see 20 plus patients a day and just, you know, see them, talk to them, examine them, you know, review all their results, order new tests and make our, you know, computer, uh, you know, friendly note. I mean, you cannot really do that in a, in a patient-friendly manner and an effective so the current system with that regard is not effective and so we working now on a, uh, i'm working now on a system where we may have to split the lifestyle therapy from the conventional way we see patients
1: okay what do you what is your vision for that how would, what would that look like
0: well it could be that we we use the conventional visit to order tests to examine patients to order refills and then tell them I need to see you for a different appointment to really discuss diet and exercise this cannot be the same appointment so I think that's how we have to separate it and um, it may be not as friendly for patients because they will have a little bit more visits but at the moment I don't see other ways
1: and that, pa- do that would that visit then be outside of the insurance system? Would it be out of pocket or how would you?
0: I think it depends. I think if it depends on the insurance coverage of yeah. patients. If the insurance covers for uh, some insurances do cover uh, nutrition counseling, exercise counseling. So if that is covered, you can certainly do that with the insurance companies. Um, if it's not covered, then it would have to be uh, a membership or a fee for service for the patient. I think I would hope that we have in the future better communication with the insurance world um, to make them understand what works and what doesn't work. Because I think at the moment there's a disconnect with clinical reality, what works successfully and what doesn't work. And in a sense, I think we are a disease-promoting system uh, because we, we fix accidents, but we do not prevent them you know, insurance companies pay up to a million dollars in the first year for a kidney transplantation, but they're not willing to spend 20% of that to prevent it from happening in the first place. And you can prevent in most patients, you can prevent end-stage kidney disease, but we don't have resources to do that efficiently.
1: Right. Right. It's almost like we could make it a win-win for the patient and the insurance company if we did this the right way. But, right. um, there are probably other parties that would not benefit as much. So would not be as sure. happy. <laughs> um, okay. How about you, you have some new, are you still doing research where you're at now or you have a new population of, of patients that you're working with?
0: We, d- we don't do any basic research okay. now, you know, but, um, you know, we, we follow carefully the patients, you know, who do the lifestyle therapy and see how they improve.
1: And how about the other question I want to ask you about in terms of delivering this care is, have you had any experience or thought about doing any of this in groups, like group visits or group education um, or utilizing other members of your team, like you had mentioned earlier, maybe with a dietitian or w- having working even more closely with a, a CrossFit trainer.
0: I think that would be a great, um, that's a great idea and that would be great if we could do that. There's always certain restraints. Um, what you can do, um, you know, there is, uh, you know, do are you doing it in a certain healthcare system? Right. Or can you, you know, bring CrossFit in? You know, so, but I think I'm always, you know, goal-oriented, you know, what's the goal? And if we have the goal, how are we going to get there? And so I think what you said, yes, we should get there. We should work together. We should have group sessions. Um, Patients like to be actually in groups because they need to, they may perceive you as a clinical provider, as the healthy guy who gives them lectures on all the bad things they did in their life. But when they are in a group where people have similar conditions, they feel more, hey, they're not alone and there's other people who can do it and there's other people they can motivate I had some patients who were very interested in that um, but we have not done it yet
1: mm-hmm. yeah I think it's it's very interesting and it's a way to you know potentially working in the system to still be able to provide a lot of that education and have some more time right um, yes you know because you're you're educating multiple patients at yes. once
0: we once did that at the Mayo Clinic there was a um a community outside Mayo, and they wanted to hear about our program. So we were left, uh, you know, at 5 o'clock p.m., we, I left with the whole group with nurses and dietitians, and, you know, we went to um, Ovatana. And there was a packed hall of four to 500 patients. Wow. And the session went from 6 to 9 o'clock. Wow. So it was like, I'm like, whoa. <laughs> the, and they wanted to keep that going. So, yes, I think it works and I think there's a big desire from patients to do that.
1: How do you see CrossFit Health evolving now that, you know, we've it's been a few months since since Greg has launched this CrossFit Health and you know, we just had the health conference. There's a lot of discussion about where it could go. What would you like to see happen?
0: I'm so I'm telling you, I'm so grateful, you know, and privileged to to be able to work you know with Greg on in this process and that he's doing it i mean he's the one who is doing it and make it happen and takes a lot of commitment and resources to 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 start this conference i think this CrossFit Health conference was probably one if not the best conference i attended in decades wow because it really it was so it's so high impact we only had half a day sessions and you learned so Intensely new insights which I didn't know before from different areas, and it is not the conventional medicine which is flawed by so many you know other interests, pharmaceutical you know companies being a big one of them, and you know bad statistics and bad methods so this was the Crossfit Health conference brings I would say a big spark in truth. What's going on in our world with health problems? What can be done? Um, you know, we had a session with Doctor Thomas Seedfree on you know how cancer can be cured without radiation and uh, chemotherapy. And so so the world needs to know that. And I think CrossFit has the opportunity to bring this element of medical science to the population because the con- conventional associations have not done that yet. I think what what I would like to see next, I want to see this grow further. Um, this was an unbelievable, amazing conference. You know, really enjoyed it. I, w- I think what I would like to see next is to get... I would suggest to have a session where affiliates have maybe a five, each affiliate who want to participate can have a five minutes presentation about Transformers.
1: That would be great.
0: And then you have an hour where affiliate one comes and you know shows this was Bill before he did X, Y, and Z and now he's doing that. So I would like to get the affiliates included in the health conference because they play a critical role in that process. And I would get the athletes and patients included as well. I think I would wanna have patients see what's going on. The presentations have been, you know, done in a in a community way that, you know, lay people can understand it. And I think it's critical for the world to see what's what you know, what's going on in medical science. And um I was just seeing the other day, two days ago, at the at the CrossFit Games, a presentation on the um, handicapped athlete, and I was just amazed what they're doing.
1: It's so incredible that now they have the adaptive seminar where they teach teach trainers, and it's incredible.
0: They need an audience. Yes, I think I want Kevin and his group you know show the adaptive athletes what they're doing there's people in wheelchairs who did rowing exercise right who, yeah i mean
1: if half of our patients could see that they yeah you, know, you realize people like to make all kinds of excuses but those athletes have no excuses no right matter what, they find a exactly. way exactly
0: yeah that's exactly what i i show my patients usually when i see them i show them that little clip from david Osario. You know, from Constance, 77 year old doing CrossFit when I she wasn't. That. Yeah, I love that also. And you say, you see, look, if a woman can do that with 77, she had, you know, several joint replacements and chronic disease. You can do it also. But I think that would be, I, I hope they're going to have an audience next year.
1: Yes, and I've been—I have noticed this weekend being asked about it a lot by spectators, by affiliates, and there's a lot of interest. And so I—and I hope that CrossFit will publish a lot of that content later right. online, and make it accessible so that everyone can have access to that information. Right. Um, and I like that you know the idea too of connecting the affiliates with the physicians in their area who are. Um, like-minded and who can do what you've been doing and, and eventually get their patients started on a program and then have an affiliate that they can refer their patients to, to take over. Right. Um, so I think all of those things are starting and it will be great to see it grow. I also am interested in for you personally, as you've gotten to know CrossFit and you've um, um, been in this community, has your own personal exercise or nutrition routine changed at all or how has that evolved over the years
0: yeah totally yeah (laughs) yeah i mean i you know in medicine you get very little taught about diet that's for sure yeah you know i mean i once started an initiative at the mayo clinic with dietitians you know let's evaluate all the diets you know what's the difference between a vegan diet atkins diet what are the outcomes what data do we have what works nobody knew it would be something I would have to spend my time and at that time I didn't have the resources to do that so I learned a lot from Greg I mean it was just an eye-opening experience and I I must say I didn't do CrossFit until I met Greg and I thought somehow I'm halfway fit I was running at that time before I started CrossFit myself and I did you know my 50 push-ups and I thought I'm I'm okay and Little did I know when I entered the first box and after 10 minutes warm up, I thought, oh, my God, (laughs) you're not in shape. And and it was such a humbling experience. And on the other way, I was like, God, I got to change something. And so this was probably very, yes. So CrossFit, you know, this kind of exercise, which I remember we did in high school it was called circle training yeah so i said i, I got to do that and yes i it it was a huge benefit for my own health improvement and i think you whatever you do in life you're going to become able to deal better with challenges when you exercise i um, think you sleep better you're more productive you're a better parent you're a better spouse um you you become better i think in whatever you do
1: so true and you've i know you've shared it with your family as well correct you have is it your son who is doing some yes crossfit workout
0: yeah they try to you know they have busy schedules too you know (laughs) i'm
1: sure they have lots of other activities yes
0: and so yeah but they they like it very much and and unfortunately the area where we live there is no there's only in the summer Mm. children classes okay and, but not during the rest of the year because the adult classes are more, uh, more occupied. Okay. So they, they, uh, compromise giving up the children's classes. So, but whenever they can do a wo- workout, they, they do it.
1: I love it. Do you have any recommendations for affiliate owners or other physicians who are, who want to start, you know, taking more ownership and doing kind of what you're doing with their patients?
0: I am um, I offer this I went to visit uh, some affiliates in the past I gave them my proposals what how I would do it I sometimes I would go to the medical centers and give a presentation there so I offer that you know wherever I can help to try to make a link between right. the medical system and the CrossFit affiliates um Sometimes it's just the phone call. Sometimes it's a presentation. Sometimes it's talking to people. You know, networking. But I think it's a process which is increasing, and you know, I'm whatever I can do to contribute. I'm I'm very happy to do so.
1: Love it. Well, I want to start wrapping up. So that unless there's anything else that you wanted to cover, I think we've covered a lot of ground. Yes. <laughs> um, there are three questions that I ask everyone at the end of the podcast. So. The first one is the three things that you do on a regular basis that have the biggest positive impact on your health.
0: Three things. Um, Trying to be on a healthy diet. Mm -hmm.
1: And how would you describe what is... Healthy
0: diet like, you know, uh, protein, good fats, nuts and seeds, vegetables, fruit a day, stay away from refined uh, sugar, um, starches, grains, the CrossFit you know, Greg Glassman diet, sure. so to speak. Try to exercise regularly. I try to do three to four times a week. And try to get good sleep. Um, these are all challenges, I think, in a sense, to pack them in your day. Yeah. The diet is probably the least of a challenge for me uh, because that's what our family eats. But um, to have time for exercise and to have time for family and everything and then get enough sleep, sometimes that becomes challenging. But... I think if you're able to put all this together, you know, that's the most important for health and uh, personal uh, success.
1: And maybe you are leading into this next question already, but the next one is, what's one thing that you struggle with or you know would have a big impact on your health, but you have a hard time implementing it?
0: Yeah, I would say that, you know, I I can only exercise at night because of my day schedule, you know, so I'm usually trying to get a CrossFit class at 7.30. And if the New York traffic is too brutal, you know, there were times I missed that. So, but I, that's been exception. So that can be a struggle and getting enough sleep can be a struggle as well. So these are the things, my personal challenges.
1: That trade-off between do I work out today or do I get enough sleep? Sometimes you have to make that decision.
0: Right. And I would say you sleep better when you work out.
1: It's very true. Although sometimes if I work out late at night, I have a hard time winding down and getting to bed but yeah yeah. but i definitely sleep better when i work out um last question is what does a healthy life look like to you
0: a healthy life like what we just talked about and um i think an important component is to to give to people you know not to to be a taker so much but to to make this world a better world and to to try to not just physically and healthwise improve yourself, but to improve yourself. Every each of us has, you know, weaknesses and strength. And I think to try to refine ourselves to become better human beings, which is not easy. And to have that goal, um, I think that goes in conjunction with the physical health, spiritual, and mental health. So I think that's an important. Um, if not the most important element of what I think is uh, you know health
1: I love it and those two do go go hand in hand if you're always trying to be better yourself then you're going to be able to give more to the world and help other people so perfect note to end on thank you so much for sitting down with me I really appreciate it Axel
0: thank you much Julie very much appreciate it good luck with all your endeavors oh thank you very much
1: Well, that's a wrap. Thank you all so much for tuning into this episode. Dr. Pfluger and I want to know what are some ways that you would love to see your doctor's office incorporate lifestyle therapies? Let us know on social media using hashtag Pursuing Health. To make sure you never miss an episode and to receive exclusive content from me, head to my website, juliefouche.com, and subscribe to my email list. If you like what you heard, don't forget to subscribe and consider giving the podcast a five star rating on iTunes. Also, don't forget to share your stories. If you or someone you know has used lifestyle to overcome a serious health challenge, please send me an email at info at i I'll choose some of these inspiring stories to share here on future episodes. Don't forget you can train with me through Beyond the Whiteboard by visiting trainwithjuliefouché.com. Thank you again so much for listening, and I'll catch you next time on Pursuing Health. If you tuned into my last episode, you know that I've been on a search for the perfect coffee creamer, and I got my order from Thrive Market and have been enjoying trying out several different options over the past couple of weeks. Have you heard of Thrive Market yet? They sell top organic and healthy products online at 25 to 50% off, shipped straight to your door as a sponsor of this episode of the podcast they're providing an amazing offer to all my pursuing health listeners so you can go to www.thrivemarket.com forward slash ph and there you'll receive an additional 25% off your first purchase plus free shipping and a free 30-day trial so my husband and I have been using Thrive Market for years it's helped us to maximize our efficiency with grocery shopping and meal prep in the midst of our very busy schedules from competing and training in the CrossFit Games years ago to now balancing our busy schedules with residency. Using Thrive Market, we can shop for all of our staple grocery items and ingredients from a curated list of products that we know and we can trust. Whether you're looking for paleo, vegan, gluten-free, non-GMO, or organic products, you can find them on the Thrive Market platform at prices 25 to 50% below retail, as I mentioned. Even better, these items are shipped straight to your doorstep, so you don't have to worry about the time or hassle of grocery shopping, which I love. I also love that Thrive Market demonstrates a huge commitment to giving back. So for everyone who signs up for a Thrive Market membership, another membership is donated to a low-income family, veteran, or teacher. Thrive Market's mission is to make healthy living easy and approachable to everyone, and this aligns perfectly with my own personal mission and that of pursuing health. Because it has been such a lifesaver in my own life, I wanted to share the benefits of Thrive Market with all of you, and they've responded with an amazing offer. So again, head to www.thrivemarket.com forward slash ph to take advantage of 25% off your first purchase, plus free shipping and a free 30-day trial. Again, this is on top of their already 25-50% to below retail prices, so I hope you can take advantage of this amazing offer and enjoy their service as much as I have. Once again, head to thrivemarket.com forward slash ph to save on some of your favorite items for healthy living and help make a healthy lifestyle easy, affordable, and accessible for all. This episode is brought to you by ButcherBox. ButcherBox delivers 100% grass-fed and finished beef, free-range organic chicken, and heritage-breed pork directly to your doorstep. Now, I think meat can have a place in a well-rounded diet, but there is a huge, huge difference when it comes to animals raised in feedlots that are fed primarily corn and soy and routinely given growth hormones and antibiotics, and those that are responsibly raised fed their natural diet and never given growth hormones or antibiotics. ButcherBox gives me some peace of mind, knowing that I can trust my meat is the highest quality out there and that it will taste amazing. They allow you to order curated or custom boxes of meat, and they always come with recipe ideas for you to explore. My husband, Danny, and I are super excited about firing up our backyard grill this summer to enjoy our ButcherBox selections with tons of vegetables from our local CSA. And you can join us. ButcherBox is extending an awesome offer to you for listening to Pursuing Health just head to butcherbox.com forward slash Julie for $20 off your order plus a free order of their delicious bacon. Again, that's butcherbox.com forward slash Julie. Hope you can check it out and that it makes your life a little bit easier just as it has done for us.